EMSradio.com. EMS information for the next generation. The EMS Garage is a production of EMSradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search EMS Garage. You can find us on Twitter at EMS Garage. Email us, emsgarage at gmail.com. Or call us, 303-720-6001. This episode of the EMS Garage is brought to you by Audible.com. Over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre. Thrillers, business, romance, comedy, sci-fi, and more. Get a free audiobook download for your MP3 or iPod. Just go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash EMS Garage. The EMS Garage. Okay, I got the DZ on the phone there. I want to know if uh, you can handle that call as well. Just confirming you are checking the patient. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the EMS Garage Newbie Edition. I'm Chris Monteri, your host, and this week we're coming to you on vocal. We're actually trying to do our first video podcast with with people and events, and I thought, why not do a really fun podcast with Ron Davis and Kelly Grayson and then the rest of the Garage team. So I'm Chris Monteri, the Geeky Medic, and thanks for joining us today at, gosh, 8 o'clock in the morning mountain time. At least it's finally sunny here and not snowing, which is a good thing, and pretty happy to be here. We're, we're your beacon of light from high atop the Rocky Mountains, which is fun. Apparently, Kelly Grayson is on his way to Texas to go shoot stuff. So, joining me first is Mr. Kelly Grayson. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm fine, Chris. How are y'all? We're doing great. Just happy to have you and happy that you're driving. Just hopefully don't shoot while you're driving. That would be bad. Yeah. Now that is it, that requires is it, a, a beer can clamp between your knees. Nice. Is it legal to be driving by yourself I, in Texas? I, I've outgrown. Say that again, uh, Russell. I don't. I don't know, but I'm not in Texas yet, so it's okay. <laughs> I think it's legal if you have hands free. Ah. Oh. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, and and you should know, Mr. Ron Davis. Uh, first time on our podcast, so introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do and how you got into EMS, all that kind of good stuff. Wow, everything all at once. Yeah, well, you know, we're, we're quick here on the podcast. Yeah, and actually, I don't think it is against the law to, uh, they're try- it's against a lot of text and drive in Texas, but I don't think it's against a lot of talk on your cell phone. So Kelly's good. He has his mobile recording unit. We've done episodes where Kelly's been on the road, which is kind of amazing. Uh, but anyway, my name is Ron Davis, and uh, I have actually am sitting here cutting my basic patch off of my uniform because I just got my intermediate last week. Woo! So uh, <laughs> I'm an EMT intermediate, and uh, I started an EMS last summer, actually. And when I did, I have another podcast, the Photographer and Model Podcast, which is where I interview photographers and models because that's kind of my other passion. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to do this basic thing because I want to learn first aid, you know, advanced first aid stuff. And 
since I'm doing it, I might as well throw together a podcast. And I know this guy because we both like to shoot things. Uh, his, he has this blog called The Ambulance Driver. I'll just send him an email. He's probably, you know, too big and famous to work with me. But say, hey, do you want to do a podcast? And I actually think I heard him on the garage first. But anyway, I said, he said, sure. And so we've been doing it every week since then. We just uh, get together and talk about what I learned in class. Um, and I, I got completely hooked on EMS during basic and decided that I would keep going. So I immediately went into paramedic school and just finished the first year of that. And actually been on a break for the last two weeks, but three weeks. But next week I start cardiology for the summer. So. Oh, fun yeah but intermediate congratulations that's awesome thank you thank you and good luck with that don't kill anyone yeah i get to poke people with with when i'm volunteering too and not just when i'm a, you know, a student do people where you are do they punch you in the patch when you get a new one <laughs> nobody has done that yet really there was a big texas thing every time you got a new patch people would run up and just like yeah. that. it was very violent this is you know, a if you're a gun blogger too, I thought maybe to- maybe don't let them shoot you in the patch, but <laughs> would be bad. You would think you would think with all of that technology, you guys would want to pin each other, like in the in the Marines or something, or is that or is that the Army? I n- I'd never remember. I, I don't know. I saw it in a movie once. I'm sure it's real. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is quite real. Oh, it is. Okay, you would yes. know. So tell us, uh, does that really happen? Yes, it does. Wow. They do, you they bleed? do that whole. Looks they like do that whole, yeah. They drive the pins right into your chest. It's kind of painful. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> wow, that sounds awesome. <laughs> it's coworker love. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they do it through your uniform, though. So there's a lot of fabric there. So you're ruining a uniform too. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, excuse that's okay. the, the, the government makes you pay for it. It's all good. Well, except that's I was rude. That's that's uh, that would be Russell Stein. Hello, sir. Oh, that. Uh, you know, freshly awake like me, and uh, yes, enjoying my Colombian brew. Yes, me too. Thank you. And then also joining us is Mr. Buck Ferris there on my left, whatever that way. Hello, is. how are you? <laughs> I can't figure this camera out. I don't no, understand. I, I give up. It's a whole lot. It's going with my screen, and there's a screen over here, and I don't, I don't get it. So, uh, so, uh, so this week we wanted to talk about being a newbie. And what it's like. So uh, I know you guys talk about this a lot on your show, Ron and Kelly, but tell me, you know, Ron, what has been your biggest challenge as you've gone through this change, if you will, from... Oh, first, I think it's really sexy that you were um, also a photographer with models and then with yes. guns. I think that's really hot. That's really hot. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that for a while. I know. I think I, you know, I think we could put those ty- types, yeah, except we'll lose all of our female demographic, but why not? <laughs> Do we yeah. Know? Besides Maris? Oh, uh, well, uh, well, I think, I think Nat still listens. Maybe. Okay. No, I know we have some female listeners. Well, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have got Kelly to do the podcast if that hadn't been if I hadn't had the pictures first. I'm sure that, I'm absolutely positive that's the first time you linked to my personal blog was uh, some chick with a gun picture. <laughs> nice. So. That's exactly that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Um, I see. Yeah. So what he, was he, the, he has my great job. He takes takes pictures of scantily clad women carrying weapons. <laughs> Nothing better. What more yeah. guy asked for? 
Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've been trying to think of how to do something like EMS with models, but I just can't think of anything that would be uh, all that awesome. I just don't, don't shoot Kelly Grayson. <laughs> all right. In anyway, sense of the word. In oh, the word. well, yeah, exactly. So tell I us. Can't get those uh, two confused. But anyway, back, <laughs> back to the back to the real thing. Why we're here. Uh, biggest challenge. Uh, one of them is that. I'm not a young guy. I'm actually in my mid-40s, and uh, so I'm going back to school. That's actually been different, and I have a full-time job, uh, not as a photographer. I'm a computer programmer, so I have a full-time job, and I'm going to paramedic school full-time, and just balancing all of that has been hard. <laughs> my my classmates and people are like, you do way too much stuff, but I'm managing yeah. to make it work. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, you're busy. So, two podcasts too. So, what what turned you on to EMS though to make you decide? You know, I think this is what I want to do for. Are you going to do it for a career or just volunteer? What what, what's your what's your passion behind it? I guess. Um. Well, when I started, like I said, I I did it because I wanted to kind of learn advanced first aid. As I like to say, I've been kind of a bit of a survivalist, if you want to put it that way. Most of my life, you know, just preparedness kind of stuff and. I was like, well, you know, I've kind of always wanted to take uh, EMS and our EMT basic because I had okay. a school who did it. And uh, so I I did. I signed up to take it. And then it was just really cool to actually know what to do. And you realize real quick how little you know when you're in basic. Uh, as my the head of my department told me, he said, you know, the difference between paramedic school and basic is that uh, basic is like an inch deep and paramedic school is the same stuff. It's just deeper. And, uh, and so when I got done with basic, I was like, this is just, I don't know. It's just cool. It was cool to be able to know what to do. It was cool to be able to help people. And it was, uh, there were, you realized how little you knew. So you just wanted to keep learning more. And am I going to do it as a career? Uh, Probably, yeah. We're actually, my wife has just gotten a new job in a town in West Texas, a small town in West Texas. And um, I'll probably, when we move out there, I will probably be taking a job as a paramedic. And so I'm actually Two staying. Things. Do they have internet job. there? Do they have internet? They do have plumbing. Okay, perfect. Just making sure we have two things there. Those are important. I'm from Texas, and there are places in Texas that do not have internet yet. Yeah, so. but uh, this is Abilene. Since you're from Texas, you know. Oh, oh, okay. That's fine. not that bad. That's, that's yeah, fine. it's a city of 100,000, a little over oh, 100,000. Okay. okay. And the service that does 911 there, it's a private service that does 911. Well, at the moment, fire's trying to take it over. But uh, they like- actually cover like four counties. So while they have 100,000 people in Abilene, they have a lot of people in those surrounding counties. So you kind of get that mix of urban and rural medicine. Uh, they'll have to respond to someone in the county and have 45-minute transport time, or they'll have, you know, I think their average response time in Abilene is four minutes, and the fire's saying they can do it in six, but anyway. Uh, that's what they all say. That's what they yeah. always say. That, that, that's a good... That's a good way to make people. Um, I think we talked about this on the last show about Kansas City and not being able to make their response times and, ooh, we're better, faster, cheaper. Oops. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. That, it's always yeah, a, Actually, it's the always thing that's employee. keeping it from happening is they say, well, we could do it. We just need 6 to $8 million to make the conversion. <laughs> and the guy from the ambulance service said, 
for six to eight million dollars, there's no way they're going to like outfit. I forgot how many stations they have with full blown ambulances, and then you have to keep them running. You know, right? And so, That's yeah. true. Well, I, uh, you know, for me, when I started into this industry, I was 16, and I thought it was really cool. So that's probably, I know exactly how you feel. It's, I always feel like a young kid when I do it. So, you know, it's kind of brings but am like I your inner child. But and not think it's cool anymore? You mean like Buck? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of Kelly, but... Uh, oh, well, yeah, well, he's not on. He's not on, so we can, we can pick on him. He dropped off. Apparently, his, his Skype calling ability from the middle of nowhere in Texas is not working Uh-oh. for him. Yeah. His Skype food was weak. But you do see that a lot. I mean, what, you know, from my newbie point of view, am I destined to become bitter and angry? Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, it depends on where you're from. Seriously, if I, if I probably, and I'm being honest, if I lived in another town or another locale, I would probably still be, I'm still very gung ho EMS. It's just hard to do it in my particular neck of the woods. There's issues and politics and things. So yeah, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. And even if you don't do the career thing, EMS is an awesome hobby. So you know, just like just about everything else. But don't you? So, but don't you think though that that's kind of just the way it is in mm-hmm. in the rest of the world? I mean, it's it's all about the politics. It's all. It doesn't matter. It's always the grass is always greener somewhere else. But the, the, reason, the reason it's greener is because it's there's a lot of shit too. <laughs> the lost the our clean tag. Yes. <laughs> matter of fact, I had this conversation last night. The big grenade that you throw into the room is that how many professions do you know where there's plenty of people willing to volunteer to do it? <laughs> I mean, when's the last time you walked into a hospital and saw volunteer nurses taking care of patients? Uh, when's Not the, the last US. time? Yeah, well, no, you're right. But I mean, and that's part of the problem with the. Uh, Pay scale, just just everything, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about volunteers. As a matter of fact, you know, if they didn't do that, some horrible things would happen in some places. Um, but as far as making this a career and getting reimbursed for the time that you spend doing things, I mean, uh, man, if you take how much education, well, you know how hard it is to go through school and do this. If you spent this much time at another profession you'd make a lot more money. So you really have to love it. You have to forego some money and you have to make some decisions and you've got another career to fall back on because you can program computers and stuff like that. And tell you the truth, if all I had was EMS, I could not afford to take care of my family. And that's hard to do. And if you want to do it, I, I support it, but, but you got to have a plan. It's kind of a rough, uh, rough way to make a living to be honest. So unless you're Chris Montera and you just make, tons of cash and you're stacking it to the ceiling so <laughs> dude i don't make any cash i don't know what you're talking about Jeez. that's because you spend it all on toys cameras oh yeah yeah yeah. you want to see that. you want to see the newest toy hang on yeah I'll put it on the vocal it's shot coming yeah, right. i know it is. all right right here just bought it yesterday residuals from all the films of the ring movies god it's used oh, but it's boy. awesome it's pretty- is that an fx one four uh, that's actually it's not the four. It's a uh, hang on. I don't remember even what I bought here. Hang on, it's, it's on the bottom. This is geek porn. No, it's a it's a HVR Z1U. It's it's oh, a used Z1. one because I I 
it's all tape. It's got a DVI, but I wanted to, I just wanted to start practicing. And that was the big thing for me. And it was two grand on eBay and it came with a, a Sennheiser wireless mic system for free. Wow. So, uh, I think the Sennheiser wireless mic system is worth a thousand, so I really got the camera for a thousand. So, uh, wherever you are and whoever I bought that from, thanks because it works great. And I, I, I was telling Buck before the show that I, uh, I used it at my daughter's band concert last night, and all the parents thought I was a real geek. But yeah, no. So what did they think I wore? I thought you were a professional and not a hobbyist. <laughs> yeah, until my arm was like falling off. The tripod's still coming from Amazon, and so I'm like, I'm waiting. Oh gosh. Anyway, so uh, back to the back to the real story, though, which is not yeah. me rolling in dough. I'm not really. Um, and the uh, I guess for me the biggest the biggest point for EMS and we talk about it often on this show is that we need to make sure that we're we're professionalizing our industry and mm-hmm. as long as people want to do it for free or as long as people don't want to pay for it in communities then it's going to be free you know private public not for profit whatever your model is fire based there's still a cost to the system and and whether that's through user fees whether that's through paying for it through insurance, whether that's Medicare, Medicaid, somebody's paying the bill to have a uh, an industry sitting there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and trying to do this thing we call EMS. Um, one of my one of my favorite quotes on EMS is that our ambulance is like the 7-Eleven. We have to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> we have to keep everything in stock. And people can walk in at any point and tell us what they're going to pay for the service, which sometimes they may just walk out and take it all for free. And <laughs> I still then have to keep remain open and continue to do the business and, and things like that. So um, I guess for me, that's where we as an industry really need to start standing up and saying there is a cost to this. There's a cost to the readiness to be here all the time. And, and how, do we, how do we do that? And, and Ron, not to, not to take sides on that. I mean, it does cost something to keep those right. ambulances running, and I think that that's important. But you know what? I a, they make it up in a, volume. It's volume, volume, volume. <laughs> I have a question about that because, I mean, I've heard this same argument in photography circles, right? Photographers can't make money because some people will do it for free mm. or they'll do it for next to nothing, mm. and that pulls it down. Well, the answer is in that situation that uh, there are people making big money, just not everybody, Um and that's because their quality is so much higher than others. But it almost seems like in EMS, A, you can't change the quality necessarily, or maybe you can, I don't know, or nobody cares. I mean, people really don't think about EMS enough to care one way or the other whether it's good or bad. And when they think about it, they don't have the right metrics to be thinking about it either. You know, this whole thing with the fire in Abilene is everybody's like making a big deal out of the response time and you're like it's you're getting yeah. the response time either way because fire responds to everything anyway because right. otherwise they're going to sit in their fire stations all day long so um you're getting the response you need you're getting someone who can start cpr in four minutes you know or why don't you try training your citizens to do cpr and anyway obviously i have some opinions that's one of the things i've learned about paramedics <laughs> is they all have opinions oh, oh we yeah, don't, we don't have any there. opinions come on i don't know what you're talking about because it does seem like, from some of the stuff I've heard, like, well, the Philadelphia thing was, I think it was Philadelphia or Detroit, and people were, you know, in the end, it's like their services are horrible, but the public doesn't care enough to do anything to change it. Or they don't know. 
Mm. A lot of people just don't know that it's bad. As long as somebody showed up and you got to the hospital, they think, yay, and they bring you donuts and cookies the next day. They don't know that you almost got killed three times over. Well, that's true. But to, but to go back to Ron's statement, though, what about the whole fact that, um, you know, if you trained the, all the cops and gave cops AEDs and trained them in CPR, wouldn't you then take care of that that one demographic we're trying to save every time with that six minutes, if you will? The cops yeah, are there. The only the way cops are there within two minutes. I mean, come on. Wow. Well, I mean, part of the problem with that, and, and I've I've suggested that here, is to you know give the cops or you know at least a couple a couple cars in their precinct an AED, but they. Uh, you know, they, they don't even know basic CPR because they're afraid of the liability. That's insane. Oh, I, I, I hate is. I hate that it argument. Is. If you walk up to a dead person, there's hardly anything you could do to worsen that. <laughs> I, oh, so. I know, I know, and I I know, and I agree. But it's 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 the bane of you know our existence, which is politics. I know, yeah, but well, you know how many? Who are the lawyers that are telling these people this? I mean, we need to make a public service campaign about you can't hurt somebody trying to do CPR on them. If they tell you to stop, that's a big idea. If they tell you to stop, stop pumping up and down on them. <laughs> Ooh, right. Yeah, that is that is awesome. Yeah. I'm yes. thinking PSA now. Yeah. <laughs> well. If yeah. if you're if if the person you're doing CPR on tells you to stop, they're not your patient; they're your victim, <laughs> <laughs> and you need to quit. So yeah, yes. you know, in the the police case, I know there are some places like in Abilene, actually, the school my wife is going to be teaching at the police, the school police department wants to put AEDs in all their cars. Um, they say they can't really afford it right now, but they, that's the way they want to do it. Uh, but I had a cop tell me that one thing you have to know about cops is really they don't want to do anything. You know, they don't want to have to go deal with a problem. So they could be using the uh, using the legal excuse as their excuse because they don't want to have to handle those calls, too. Well, somebody we are actually going through this debate in my town right now because we want to outfit all of the sheriff's vehicles. All of the pol- town police departments have AEDs, but the, the sheriff's department vehicles don't. And they, somebody came into my office the other day and said, well, what if the cops came to us and wanted us to do cop stuff? I'm like, give me an example. Well, I don't have one. I said, then that's a, that's a terrible argument. You can't use that argument. Okay, we, you, I, the cops all want us to carry guns because we might be their backup. Mm, kind of a, I, said, I said, think about it this way. The cops are always in the news for bad things. Bad things that happen to people. They mm. do something stupid, whatever. I mean, you know, cops are cops. Um, but I said, this is their one opportunity to actually save a life and, and get up on stage and make a difference and people will applaud them. And man, what a great job they did saving a person's life, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, to my point of view, is doesn't that, it seems to make more sense if you just, you know, let the cops do that or if they're more willing to want to come alongside us and 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 be a part of the healthcare system in that in that one instance i'm not asking them to you know to work on a drug dealer because they're trying to check their pockets or whatever um and i think kelly great kelly didn't you say isn't there like a cop move where they use their foot to check and see if they're okay what, what's that called <laughs> You're the sure. one that came up with that. Just ground checking him, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's like the cop level of consciousness. So it's like cops, cops in your car. Yeah, hey guy, are you okay? And or just kind of nudging the him with their foot. Sir. That that's all the medical stuff that they know. This is the cop version. 
It's the cop version of the ABCs. Hey, buddy, ambulance be coming. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's the it. one. <laughs> I love that. You know, the, uh, the uh, resuscitation that Too Old to Work and I um, did on the uh, the lady at the in the diner in, in Edison, New Jersey, uh, the first responder, the, the first uh, rescuer to get there after us was the cop. And he had the AED in his squad car. That he, apparently, they carry him in the, their squad cars there in, in New Jersey, or at least in Edison, they do. Did he know how to On use it? On the other it? hand, he was so petrified that he didn't <laughs> know. He just stood there with, with his gloves in his hand and gave the lady the stare of life. <laughs> and uh, too old to work, just took the, gently took the AED pads from him and said, we've got it from here, son. <laughs> and just <laughs> took over. How much does an AED cost? Uh, about you can get them for twelve hundred bucks. They're not expensive, not too expensive. Yeah. There were there was back when the AED Instructor Foundation was doing their thing. They they were offering those Zoll AEDs for eight or nine hundred. Mm. But I don't think you can get them that cheap. Yeah, they're we're we're trying to outfit our community with some more AEDs, and they're not cheap, but. You know, and the other the other piece of it is you got to maintain them. You got to keep upkeep. You got to mm. change out the pads, and that that becomes over time. That becomes way more expensive. So wow, we actually we've actually hired a um, our service has hired a concierge service. So they concierge the AED concierge service. So <laughs> for for two hundred bucks per AED a year, they they do a couple things. One, they keep all the pads up. Uh, now, for pediatric pads and adult pads and an AED, that's about 150 bucks a year. So right there, we're like, okay, that's good. The second thing they do is they call the people that own the AEDs once a quarter and make sure it's working, make sure the battery's okay, things like that. That, to me, is worth about an hour of time. Perfect. And then, so then... So then when you start adding up the costs, it's actually not that bad to do. Um, and then the very the best thing is they, they maintain it. So if something goes wrong, they they send it back to, I think uh, most of ours are physio now. They send them back to physio. Um, and if it gets used, they'll actually send that off to, they'll, they'll overnight a new one to that service or that, that place. They'll take that AED, get all the information, all the data off of it, send us a copy of the data um, in both hard and, and data format, and then send that AED reconditioned back to the back to the people that used it. So to us, it's a huge benefit to have that. And I never thought I would say that having an AED concierge service is, is, a, is a need, but you know what? It's it's actually really good. So, AED so the pads authority. expire in under a year? Uh, they can. I mean... You know, we're in a dry environment up here, so those uh, the gel in them doesn't last very long most of the time. Hmm. So, yeah, Sounds we go like through. Money well, you know, it is, but you know, we're saving lives. They should give away the AEDs and charge you for the pads. It's kind, of, yeah, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like when they give away those uh, blood glucose monitors. It's the little sticks that cost a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah the, the proprietary strips that fit nothing else. <laughs> exactly. And, and are good for nothing else, really. Exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. You can't use them in a different one. So, And even the different model that comes out next year, you, you know, can't one use of the, it. One of the, the colleges in Louisiana near where I used to live uh, has a nanotechnology resource or research center. And one of the things they're playing with is a, uh, a set of uh, glucose measuring contact lenses that will change color according to your, your glucose 
level. Wouldn't that be neat? You can just walk in, look at their eyes. Yeah, your, your blood glucose is, is low, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Your eyes are such a brilliant green. Of course, that means that your blood sugar is less than 40. Yeah. <laughs> and, they're, they're, and, you know, someone's going out on a date that night, so they don't eat anything, so their blood sugar will go down and turn their eyes green. <laughs> you, you look really good. What did what'd you do? What, what did you do different? What are you doing different with your eyes? 40, 40 minutes later. Uh, uh, sir, this is the 10th I'm time I've seen you this week. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, um, well, you know, uh, speaking of weird blood glucose things, um, have you heard about those dogs that you can get a you can get a dog that will it's like a it's a companion dog that will start nudging you or something if your blood glucose gets out of out of range and they can smell the difference in in the person's body odor and breath and stuff. That's really cool, by the way. Kind of odd, but really cool. I've actually, well, if it gets high enough, I can smell it. Well, true. <laughs> yeah, it's well. It reminds me of the, the Steve Barry cartoon with the with the hummingbirds buzzing the guy's ears. <laughs> he says your, your blood sugar is a little high, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's good. <laughs> oh or, gosh! Or those of you who are around on on a Usenet when when. Most of the uh, the bulletin boards where uh, people participate on Usenet bulletin boards, uh, Hero Medic was the was a, a character on one of those things, and he had a couple of C spine injury sniffing dogs, Atlas and Axis, and they, he said they could, he had trained them to sniff out C spine injuries. <laughs> he was wow. the world's most art troll on the bulletin board. It was, it was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Uh, so, Ron, let's get back to newbie because uh, the name of the show is Noob, and if you don't right. know what that means, look it up on the internet. Um, <laughs> so, what's been the most interesting call, or what was the? Well, let me ask you this: A, was there? A, there's a call that scares everybody. What is it for you? And B, what has been the most interesting call you've done to date? Um. <laughs> Uh, the most interesting call was the MVA with the stripper, but uh, uh, did she cause the MVA? Or how, uh, <laughs> no, you know, she like, was she was a victim. She was a patient. Um, the reason it was interesting was not just because she was a stripper, although that was interesting. Uh, it was because I had had another call, and we both went to the another call, another MVA uh, a couple of weeks before, and we we went to a the same level one trauma center and on the first call we pulled up to the trauma center opened the back doors and there was somebody back there going what's going on you know tell me what's going on and and when we showed up with her and i don't have this didn't have anything to do i don't i don't think they put that in the call ahead that that was her profession but when we showed up with her we had to wait in line and she was obviously in way worse shape than the other person was but for some reason, whatever the call-in was between the two medics caused two different reactions at the trauma center. So that was the most interesting call, both because of that, you know, because it was my, that was actually, that was my first MVA. Uh, the one that scares me, let's see. Well, and it, it's kind of hard to say because I remember the only time I've ever been scared was, uh, I think it was... 
early January or maybe December of last year. So I'm at the very end of my first semester of paramedic school. And we've just started learning to intubate. And I'm standing there talking to the, the crew. And they're like, uh, yeah, so what level are you? And I said, well, I'm in paramedic school. We don't really differentiate levels. But you'd, you'd say I was in intermediate school. And they're like, oh, okay. Well, if we get a full arrest and our supervisor's there, she's going to make you do the intubation. I'm like, she's going to what? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, you know, uh, and I'm like, I'm not sure I would be really comfortable with that. And they're they're like, oh, you know, they're already dead. You can't hurt them any worse. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, awesome. And of course, then the next time the tones go off, it's an MVA. I mean, not an MVA. It's a it's a uh, cardiac arrest. Right. And I'm like, oh my god. And then I, you can hear them dispatch the supervisor right behind us. But that person was dead, dead when we got there. We didn't even. We didn't even do, uh, we didn't even try. So, but those, that, so, but on the other hand, now if I got one, I would be like, I really need to get this experience. It would be a little scary, but it would be a little exciting too. So, you know, what's funny is you hit my scariest call, the stripper. So, I mean, you know, that was really my <laughs> scariest call. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, my scariest call when I was, uh, and it still is because I hate it is childbirth. I don't know why. It's just oh man, weird. I am I'm the guy that you don't want to have on your truck because I'll come in and I'll go. So where's the OB kit? And they'll be like, you didn't just say OB, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you are a little weird, dude. That's uh, that's not normal. Well, you know, when I was taking basic, and my basic instructor said something about childbirth. She said, you know, people, a lot of medics hate it. She goes, but I like it because. Of all the things we do, it's the one that most likely has a really positive outcome. And so it's the one that you're most likely to get to the end of and feel great about because in most cases, you're just playing catch anyway, and you're going to have a baby at the end, and everybody's happy about that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't know. Until Maybe they... I'll change my mind after my first one. See, they just scare you in school with all the things that can go wrong with that. You know, mm-hmm. nuchal cord and, you know, head, head, leg kind of twisted and contorted <laughs> all around. Oh, my God. Or just the leg coming out. And then you're like, uh, tell them to stop pushing. We're going to the hospital. Yeah, when I uh, when I started, I had a uh, I was given a, a piece of advice from a uh, an old sage, if you will. Uh, he said uh, he said all bleeding eventually stops. Mm-hmm. And if you drop the baby, pick it up. I have had a sage that says those exact same things to me. <laughs> and a systole is the most stable rhythm. Mm-hmm. But if you do drop the baby, make sure you dust it off so that there's no dirt on it before you <laughs> exactly. head back to mom. Or as Kelly's case is, you know, if the baby's dropped, pull it out of the toilet. <laughs> we actually had that happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was yeah. a call he had a couple of weeks. Uh, he had that call when he had a medic from Germany with him. No, no, we... Uh, Ours was always all bleeding eventually stops. If the baby drops, pick it up, and if you can't pick it up, kick it to the truck. That was. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> it's rough in Kentucky. Oh, <laughs> oh my but, um, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> Lord, I apologize. <laughs> so buck i have a question for you i watched this yes. show on um that i probably shouldn't watch it's called justified and it's about um it's about kentucky ah really is there a show about us well it's it's takes Are place there any in shoes kentucky? or teeth <laughs> <sighs> 
you know. Anyway. Wow. But it's good. I, I got to tell you, if you get a chance, watch that show. Just Really? I'll check it out. Right. I'm not from here, so I can make a little fun. And my wife gets upset, though. So. <laughs> She's from Kentucky? Sorry. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's okay. So what what about Buck and... and uh, Russell, what what about you guys? Did you guys ever have a call? Like, do you have a memorable call, like from when you first started? It's hard um, to say. Yeah, they all blend together after a while, don't they? Yeah, they. Yeah, they well, do. when I first started, there was a regular dialysis patient who just broke my mind as far as healthcare is concerned. Um, I think a couple of years ago, I even wrote a blog post about it. It's actually really sad, but we had these horrible nursing homes in Texas. That's one thing. Nursing homes here aren't too bad, thankfully. They had these horrible, terrible nursing homes. And one of the patients that I often ran right when I started was a lady who was a ward of the state. Uh, she didn't have any family, and they'd taken her in over there um, at, at the nursing home, and Medicare was paying for it. But Medicare won't allow you to be a DNR. And they won't do anything but kind of life-saving measures after you're already sick. They won't do anything preventative. And she had horrible out-of-control diabetes. And she um, wound up she wound up losing her feet. And then they amputated farther up. And then she lost both her legs. And then she had a stroke and she couldn't move anymore. And she had a seizure disorder. And then the neuropathy continued. And then they amputated her hands and then her arms. And then she needed a Foley all the time. And then they installed a colostomy bag. And then they installed a G-tube. And she finally went blind from neuropathy until at one point, at, at the final point, we ran on her for about three years from the beginning of my career. And uh, the she had no arms and no legs, a colostomy bag. She peed in a bag. Uh, she ate through a bag, and she was blind, and she had a GCS of three. <clears throat> and we took her to dialysis every other day. And we were just looking at the going, why? Why won't somebody just, you know, make her a DNR? Well, she's a ward of the state, and here we are making money, taking her back and forth. Wee, you know, and <laughs> it just kind of Medicare broke. didn't. Is that still the truth? They won't let you have a DNR? Uh, it, it isn't Medicare. It's if you're a ward of the state in Texas. That's the truth in Kentucky, too. Wow. This I did not know that. Yeah. We need to put those guys in charge of health care. <laughs> I think we kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got some problems. So, wow, yeah. that's horrible. Well, no, it's it's true, and that's a story and I just brought the tone of everything down but that's what this one of the things that struck me is how futile some of the stuff we were doing and how the system was very broken and it started making me rethink what I'm doing and you know that's probably why I'm kind of jaded as we speak right now is that that one particular thing and a lot of things from it but you know it's the same thing in Kentucky with the word of the state as far as organ donation every time I get an organ donor or I get somebody I think they can donate organs or I'm, I'm going through and then all of a sudden while I'm getting information from the nurse they go oh they're a ward of the state they go, we have to shut it down because the ward of the state won't let any organs go out of it um and so it's it's kind of weird, but these uh, Medicare ward, you know, stuff stuff just doesn't support what you'd think they'd support. Sometimes they won't make you a DNR. Or they won't they won't help when you need it. Sometimes. Hmm. So anyway, well, I brought everything down. Let's yeah, man. Down. Gosh, that's, yeah. that's kind of a downer. For eight o'clock in the morning here. <laughs> okay, oh. I'll ask a, a, a newbie question to go with that. Then, right. so okay. you know. That's one of the things I realize that you're going to run into stuff like that as a newbie. And how do you deal with it? 
That's a good question. <laughs> um, it was, you just learn to detach from stuff like that. It was probably the saddest thing I ever saw, and you run on it every other day. And some of these uh, dialysis patients are also the saddest thing you're ever going to see because those are the pay- they're your regulars, and you get attached to them. And one day, you might wind up doing CPR on them, like I did that too. And you wind up, instead of going over there for the dialysis treatment, you wind up, oh, this is the lady I take, and she's dead. And you you know, you know do that. Um, there is no real good way to work through that. And if you actually sat down with a therapist and told them what you did for a living and told them what happened to you, they'd tell you to take like a month off. But <laughs> you can't afford to do that, and you can't afford to change careers um so either you're kind of capable of this kind of stuff or or you have trouble with it but there's there's no secret magic bullet to get help about stuff like that except except don't hide it don't be tough guy um actually seek some help over it most people in ems do not like to talk about problems like that and think you're weak if you do but it's perfectly fine to be upset by people dying i don't know why they think you got to be tough guy through that um but yeah my, my biggest piece of advice is don't do tough man syndrome actually you seek help for stuff that happens like that although that may not be part of the culture where you're working completely agree which is why you should be involved in ems on the online so you can have you can meet people that you can talk to that aren't part of your service or a third plug <laughs> plug <laughs> so somebody needs to maybe we should start like the uh the kind of we should call it EMS couch where you can come and you can come online and just tell your story and and feel better because I don't believe well but I don't believe in CSIM so it's probably the next best thing well, it's kind of copy code three too. Although I, I agree, I agree. Yeah. You was throwing me a softball pitch. I was a little bit, a little bit. Well, of I was going I mean, just to be semi-serious, you know, that was one of the things Kelly said. He said, "Hey, if you ever, you know, have a call or something, you need to talk to somebody. Feel free to call me." You know, and I know he's done that for other people too, other newbies. So there, there is that aspect of you may it may not be your culture at your place, but because we're now in such a connected world, you can find someone. You can find someone who would who will do that kind of thing for you. Yeah. Well, when I first started out, we had a wonderful mentor program. Um, the the FTOs were considered mentors for like the first year that the employee was in there, and a lot of them took it you know farther than that. And um, it was almost like your uh, your sponsor at AA or something like that. If you had a whole lot of trouble, there was always somebody you could call, and it was your first point of entry into the company and uh, or the service or you know however you want to look at it. But that's really important to assign have somebody who's the first training contact and the first point of entry in the company take ownership of something and help new employees get through stuff like that, even if it's not professional, because they can at least. Uh, refer you to professional help if they can't do it themselves. And, you know, having friendships and mentors uh, in your service can't hurt anything. Right. Yeah. What, um, how long do you see, new? do you guys in your service and your experience see newbies lasting? Oh, wow. A year? (laughs) Do you mean like the newbie as in the newbie syndrome or newbie as in, you know, they come on and then... They hate it and they leave. Yeah, that. I want. I want that latter one. How, I mean, obviously, that's not everybody, or there would be nobody left in EMS. But what percentage of people would you say that is that make it about a year and they're like, I just can't do this job and, and leave? Most. And how long is that period of time? Buck's Buck's experience is different than mine. I think 
uh, for me, it's been important that you weed out that you're not weed out. I shouldn't even say that, that people get exposed enough when they're new, i.e. EMT basic, that they find out quickly that this is not the career for them. And Mm -hmm. you know, what was funny is we've had, we had some uh, students from Australia on our, that come up and do, have done their field internship with us. And as a part of that internship, they, this is literally, they are academic paramedics at this point. They have gone to three or four years of school. They have never touched a patient, kind of. I mean, they've done some laboratory stuff, but never worked in the field. And they'll come there, and we've had them, we've had three now from Australia. And they come, and they their eyes are big. And, you know, our paramedics are like, you know, you're a paramedic student. You can do everything that, that we can do. And we're quickly learning that that's not even the case. They need to learn the basic assessment skills. And so we're going, we're basically taking them back to basic 101. And so I had a, I had a talk with the professor from that, from that college or from that university. And I said, so, you know, what is your success rate in doing this? That, you know, you, for us, most of our EMTs before they go to paramedic school have been puked on and have seen blood and have seen not, lots of nasty things. And he goes, you know, it's pretty remarkable. He said, within the first year, what in the world? <laughs> A grinder, meat grinder, got it. All right, so, uh, <laughs> oh, you're doing my switching. Thank you. Please do the switching for me. Uh, so sure. within the first year, um, the the we're finding out that the paramedic students that make it um, are doing great. And at year two, they're actually ex- excelling past the paramedic students that are technically trained. And they're doing research and they're doing all kinds of crazy things. So he said, yeah, that first year is pretty rough. But he said that once they, once they learn it and once they come on board and once they become uh, proficient in the skills, they get it. And it's not that hard for them. So I would have to say that it all comes down to the individual. I mean, there's no, I don't, I would love to, and I, and I proposed this to him as one of his uh, students is going through uh, his getting ready to advance from the bachelor's program to a master's and PhD. I said, you know, what would be interesting is that we get a, an industry specific psychological test that we can apply to a lot of people before they go into this program so that we can start getting people early and figuring out if they're the right people for this. Where is this really? Who does this? Nobody. Is there some, oh, oh, okay. 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 Well, you mean, okay. you mean the, the psychological testing? Yes. Nobody. Yes. And that's what I said. That should be, that should be okay. their research is how do we, you how do we my get hopes re- up for a minute? I know. No, there's nothing. Oh, like no. Cause I have to tell you a story. Seriously. There was uh... a <laughs> and that's true. Yes, absolutely. The beer helps. <laughs> when I was, um, Okay, when I and this was before I was an instructor, but uh, right about the time I was becoming a field training officer, um, we had this kind of terrible, terrible thing happen. Uh, one of our field training officers over there um, accepted a student. Okay, and boy, this guy was rescue Ronnie. He had everything with him, and he had the big belt, you know, and he had the stuff hanging from it. He was really gung ho to get to work, and you know, but he was a nice enough guy, and everybody thought he was cool. There you go. Oh God! I bought I bought one at the last EMS conference I went to just because oh I had to have goodness. it for nostalgia. It was there it was, you go. It was eight dollars and fifty seven or seventy five cents, and I'm like, I have to have that. Well, this guy had like eight of these, and he looked like Batman, right? Anyway, but look so. what else I found. See that? That's a stethoscope <laughs> holder for your belt. I, I kid you not. 
It's a hip clip. It's a hip clip. Dude, I'm gonna, I should send that to Ron so he can put it on his on his hip. Anyway, so go ahead. Sorry, rescue running. Rescue running. Well, so this guy, you know, uh, one of the first calls they get out is a CPR. And the guy gets in the back of the ambulance with him, and he's freaked out. I mean, they say, okay, come get you some, you know, bump up and down on this. And he just hid. He went to the wheel well, the part furthest from in the ambulance, and hid there. And was just not much use to anybody. And they got to the hospital, and they said, hey, man, you need to talk. Come here. And so, well, you know, we'll talk when we get back to the station. And they drove him back, and he got back in his truck, and he drove away, and nobody ever saw him again. Like, they tried oh. to get a hold of him. They even tried to get him some counseling and stuff like that. And this was just kind of the run-of-the-mill, end-of-life, over-80-year-old assistily CPR run, you know, that they really wanted to leave there. The only reason they transported the patient was to actually give this guy some experience. Um, and... It was a mess, and when I started instructing, I didn't. I never saw anything that was that market that bad. But I desperately, desperately, desperately wanted a psychological test um, uh, of a way of like identifying these people who couldn't deal with the industry or shouldn't be playing with dead people or something. <laughs> and you know, that's you know, it's it's something I'd, I'd hate for somebody to spend all that money and go through all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've made I've seen people who made it to paramedic before they found out they couldn't do it. Um, you know. Uh, it's weird. One of the things I found that's kind of different between different programs is some places you do your entire paramedic before you do your clinicals. Uh, yeah. I mean, you do all your school first, whereas my mine, we were doing clinicals the first week you were in class practically. Well, actually, paramedic, you were doing your first clinicals that first week because you had your basics, so you could. Um and I, I, was, I always wondered, like, what happens to people? And that happens. I mean, people go on their first clinical and they walk away and they never come back. But what happens when you've already spent two years or however, well, more like six months in that paramedic program I'm thinking of? And boom. Nurses do it all the time. You know, yeah, um, do. doctors get to hide. They become radiologists or something. Um, <laughs> or, yeah, well, I mean, you can, pick a, <laughs> you can pick a specialty where you don't have to, you know. See a lot of stuff, and you still make money and have, have fun. And nurses have more of a place to go too. Let's say you get your nursing degree, and it's like, oh man, well you can go where places people don't usually die. You can work in the clinic. You can work. In, you can work on the phone as a nurse. Um, but if you're a paramedic, ah, anyway, um, if you're a paramedic, <laughs> my camera keeps telling me it's out of batteries, even though it's plugged into the wall. Um, uh, but there's nowhere for you to hide. Basically, you have to work on a truck, and you have to work there for a while. There's not too many different income streams for us, and if there is, it's usually in an ER, and whoops, there you go. You see it again. Um, so I'm desperately – anybody who knows of a, of a psychological test or a company who's willing to take this on, please tell us about it. This needs to be done. Well, that's where it needs to be researched, I think. It, I mean, it's not just – because there are police ones, there are fire department ones, there are there are yeah. psychological tests out there, but and I think we're but we're different. I I keep going back that there's a little bit of fire in us, there's a little bit of cop in us, and there's yeah. some doctor, there's some nurse. I mean, there's some. Well, we're weird people, and yes, and so Ron, just know that if you're weird, then you fit right in. Yeah, we're, I, um, think that, I think it'll be good. How many years was wondered. EMS? At, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. I've often, I've often wondered. What percentage of EMS workers suffer from adult ADHD? I bet it's a big, a big percentage of us, don't you think? Yeah, but there's or, or some version of that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, got to have the constant stimulation. Can't focus on anything for too long. 
10 minutes is the perfect time frame. What'd you say? I'm sorry. I wasn't really focusing. Sorry. The transient nature. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go ride our bikes. Who's shiny? I've, I've found people that, that can't, they can't handle the, uh, the monotony. Like, you know, as long as there's blood and guts and everything's just going crazy, they're all over it. But as soon as you start throwing them non-emergency transfers or routine stuff, they just fall apart because they can't handle the monotony of it. Who's that voice? (laughs) <laughs> That's because we're we're attracting people uh, for the wrong reasons. We're attracting, selling them on the yeah. adrenaline rush when there's not that much adrenaline rush. Right. You know, not that often anyway. Actually, working on an ambulance can be fantastically boring for weeks at a time. So. Yeah. How true. Hours and hours of drudgery punctuated by moments of sheer terror. Well, and I, and I think that that's what may, probably screws us up the most is this, uh, and I think it's even more than probably fire to fire and EM or like a traditional fire department and traditional law enforcement where, you know, law enforcement and, and fire departments are pretty steady industries. They'll have this occasional bump like once, let's say every six months where they get a really good working fire or there's, you know, some bad guy after them or whatever. I don't know, some shooting or something like that. But for us, it, it, when you first start out, it's, it could be every call for the first three or four years. And I think that messes with your adrenal glands and it messes with all of your endocrine system and it can really kind of screw you up a little bit. And I don't think that that's necessarily healthy for any individual. And I don't even think that that physicians and nurses get that same uh, adrenaline bump. I, again, I, I would love to see it researched because I don't I don't know what other industry would compare to how that is for us all the time. I mean, I, look, I remember I sitting in the military. Really? Well, okay, that's good. Oh, I that's mean, good. That's good. Now, here's I, I have a theory about this, and it, it's pretty serious because I looked into this for a while. One of when I was an EMS instructor, I had that company I was working with it. Um, uh, Fort Knox over here, the Wounded Warriors program. I actually put some of those guys returning from the Gulf War through paramedic school, and the uh, government paid for it. And uh, it was a way, and all those guys were in therapy for one way or another. But I asked them, is there any point of entry like weeding out? They said, no, there needs to be, because think about this. If you're you're a nurse or a paramedic and you get this education and you say, you know, blood and guts is not for me, I'm going to quit. You can walk away. But if you're in the military and you wind up in Iraq and all of a sudden being shot at is not your thing, you cannot leave. And uh, if you're in the middle of that for two years, it will destroy destroy your head i mean you will and that's why some of these guys are coming back from and uh, it's just you know and if there's some way to identify like i said identify those people before they enter so know that they're capable of it or have some resources to deal with it i've got a i've got a book in my library uh that i'm reading right now by uh it's by lieutenant colonel dave grossman you probably see it. it's called on killing it's uh the psychological cost of learning to kill in war and society that kind of plays right into it is that they they, they talk about the uh, the four levels of, uh, of of aggression which is uh, you know you have more than fight or flight but you also have uh, submit or uh, submit or there's a fourth one I'm forgetting right now it's way too early I haven't had enough coffee but uh, they, uh, they they talk about that is that is that they they were examining like you know uh, 
uh, Vietnam and the Gulf War and uh, and wars before that. And uh, that those kind of those same psychological issues that we're talking about in mean, people that are they get shell shocked by combat or or you know they 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 want to flee from it but they can't and they're being held there. That's the you know kind of the exact same thing that we're talking about. And that's yeah. it's kind of interesting to see to see the qualities that they're talking about in, in this book, which is you know not related to life saving at all uh, in our in our own people. There's a there's a switch inside of people, you know, oh, yeah. and 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 sometimes I think it's either turned on or it's turned off, and it's you know um, it's weird. Now that I have another kind of living that I do, I go around um, doing a tissue donation and cornea donation, and I actually go dissect people, and people usually think that's really cool until they figure out he plays with dead bodies when he goes to work and you know you're able to actually just dismantle somebody and put them somewhere else and and yes i'll look in the camera it doesn't bother me i don't know that switch in me is turned on i can have some separation from that and i'm not saying that's a complete job requirement but there are some people who can't who if they saw something like that there's plenty of people who come in and view a recovery, what we're doing, and they're in healthcare, and they want to vomit. I mean, they run from it. It just freaks them out. And so, you know, there's there's obviously some levels. You know, you're either able to deal with this or you're not. And uh, I'm shocked that somebody hasn't written about this or uh, tried to do some research about it. Hey, um, Chris, remember the day job thing? I have to go, so I wanted to say goodbye before I just took off. Oh, thank you, Ron. (laughs) All right, so, Ron, tell us where people can find you. And actually, it's probably a good place to wrap up, but where where can people find you? Dismantling dead bodies? (laughs) Well, dismantling dead bodies, yes. That's a good place to get the MS podcast. You are, man. (laughs) Twice today, you bring us down. Oh, man. Well, he's he's dismantled the patient. Well, you guys could find out uh, more about me and Kelly's podcast at uh, emsnewbie.com. That's N-E-W-B-I-E.com. And we just finished our essay contest, so you guys were too late on that, but we're going to get into the judging. You can see some of the results on that. And uh, and then I will be at EMS World. I'm finally going to get to meet yes! everybody. Yes. Oh, and I missed the first week of class, but I'm going to be there. Dude, here's the deal. When you come, you're doing a show live from the show floor. Okay, awesome. and you're gonna come on my show, so you get two two shows. Okay, all right, all right. Awesome. Thank thank you so much for coming on, and I appreciate it. And uh, good luck with being a noob. All right, thank right. you. Thanks, Ron. Bye. Kelly Grayson, where can people find out more information about you? Uh, the blog, uh, A Day in the Life of an Ambulance Driver. It's ambulancedriverfiles.com. Uh, on Twitter as at Ambo Driver. Uh, Facebook page, same as the blog, uh, Day in the Life of an Ambulance Driver. Um, and that's really about it. Right on. Well, thank you, sir. Thanks for thanks for coming on while you're driving. I appreciate it. And I know we had a few technical <laughs> difficulties, but eh, you were there. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back on sometime soon, and we'll do some vocal and get to see him in his bikini or whatever, so Ron can shoot him. That'd be funny. Uh, so <laughs> I know a little disturbing for 9 a.m. Uh, so James Warmoth. Hey, thanks for coming on. Sorry. You know, it's this new Skype. I was trying to find you. There's a little search bar on the right here to find you. And it, you weren't coming up. It's because you were already in the chat. And I'm like, nuts. So now I get it. I'm learning. I'm learning. Awesome. So James Warmoth, where can people find more information about you? And, and I hear you're moving and 
or re yeah yeah i finally got my house that i was living in sold which i'm very happy about my new house is being built and i'm kind of in temporary housing for about three months and everything's going good with that uh i will say i have moved out out of the 90s and i have uh jumped over to facebook you know i know everyone was laughing at the fact that i was hiding out on myspace well i finally made Ooh. jump away mm. well so uh yeah, but they can they can find me at yellowrubberducky.squarespace.com. Right on. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming on, James. And we'll get you on next week, I promise. All right. All right. Hey, Russell, the hybrid medic, Stein, where can people find more information about you? Um, hybridmedic.com, at hybridmedic, hybridmedic on Facebook, hybridmedic at gmail.com. And I try to answer my uh, my droid hasn't been giving me my emails recently, so I have to figure out what's up with that. But that, reboot it. Have you rebooted it? Um, Mine does that yes. every once in a while. Mine does that every once in a while, and or it'll get full. So it's kind of annoying. I don't know why it does that. Uh, so speaking of droid, did you know that we're on Stitcher? And if you're interested in, in listening to our shows or live streaming them while you're driving in your car oh. on your iPhone or your BlackBerry or your Android or even your iPad, cool. I think they have an iPad app as well, go to Stitcher.com and look for EMS Garage, EMS Leadership, EMS Educast. We get some great statistics from them, and they are a partner with us. So go to Stitcher and listen to them. If you can't download it, listen to it right on your phone while you're driving. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and Buck Ferris, where can we find you? Wow. Uh, go to gomerville.com. That's my blog where you can get depressed listening about kicking babies to the truck and um, dissecting people and, and other things. Um, but uh, also my new project, and last time I was on the garage, I know I said I was going to have it done, but this time I actually do have it done. I just have to post it. Copy Code 3. There's going to be a fourth episode. Uh, so it has been resurrected, and there will be a new episode very shortly for people to see. Um, don't go to CopyCode3.com yet. I haven't done the redirect, but go to Gomerville.com. You'll find it. Um, Buckman at Twitter. Uh, I'm on here every once in a while, and I also kind of like a lifetime occasional co-host on the Educast, so you might see yes. me there too every once in a while. That's awesome. Yes. Love having so. you back. And right. It's great. And you can find me, Thank Geeky you. Medic. Thank you. Well, you know, we love to have you on. And you can find me, Geeky Medic, on all the websites, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you want to find me on. I'm sure I'm there. And we just appreciate you listening and this week watching on vocal and we're going to try and start using vocal more i now have the ability to record vocal thanks to jamie davis and Ooh. we really appreciate it so we're going to actually have a video podcast this week and we'll we're going to throw it up on the web page i'm not sure i'm going to stream it or going to send it to itunes yet but you can always listen to the audio version on itunes and always on stitcher thank you very much and thank you for your support join us next time when we talk more about issues that concern you in ems have a great day night, weekend, lunch, dinner, call, whatever you're doing. Appreciate it. See you guys soon. Bye!